Righteousness and justice are the foundations of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. Blessed are the people who know the festal shout, who walk, O Lord, in the light of your face, who exalt in your name all the day, and in your righteousness are exalted. For you are the glory of their strength. By your favor, our horn is exalted. For our shield belongs to the Lord, our King, to the Holy One of Israel. Those are verses 14 to 18 of Psalm 89, the first 18 verses of which are appointed as the psalm for today, August the 9th, 2021. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. This is the daily edition of the show. Um, we don't, I don't do the show on the daily portion on Sunday. I don't want it to be confusing. And the way that I have to post everything, it, it, you could be confused about whether you're listening to the daily show or the Sunday edition of the podcast. And so um, we sometimes miss a little bit uh, of the readings because of that. So uh, I'll give you a, a little bit of a catch-up on the Second Samuel lesson today, which is Second Samuel 13, verses 23 to 39. Yesterday we would have read the first 22 verses. And what they would have told us is the story of Amnon one of the sons of David, and Tamar, one of the daughters of David, whose brother is Absalom, and who will feature prominently in the next bunch of readings, actually. And so what has happened is, is that Amnon had fallen in love with Tamar, and, and his friend, he, he was grieving, he was hurting so much, he was loving Tamar so much, he, he was in love with her, and lust with her, or whatever it was. But anyway, one of his friends, Jonadab, who will also be in this story, um, contrived a way for Amnon to sleep with his sister, half-sister, Tamar. And so what he did after that, though, was he, was he was disgusted by what had happened. And he hated Tamar and sent her away. And then she ends up going to her brother Absalom and, and tells him what's happened here. And so that's the background and the backdrop for the story for, for today's lesson, which begins with after two full years. And, and that's two full years after... Tamar had been raped by Amnon. Absalom had sheep shearers at Belhazor, which is near Ephraim, and Absalom invited all the king's sons. And he came to the king and said, Behold, your servant has sheep shearers. Please let the king and his servants go with your servants. So they have a big feast is what happens. Remember this, this happened once before with David and Abigail, whose husband Nabal, uh, had sheep shears, and David had been following the the men in the fields, the the shepherds in the fields, and and been providing protection for them. And so David, at the time of the sheep shearing, when there was a feast, sent and asked for something for him and his men. So here we've got another feast, and Absalom invites the king and all the sons of the king out to this feast where the sheep shearers are. But the king said, "No, my son, let us not all go, lest we be burdensome to you." And he pressed him, but he would not go, but gave him his blessing. Then Absalom said, If not, please let my brother Amnon go with us. And the king said to him, Why should he go with you? But Absalom pressed him until he let Amnon and all the king's sons go with him. And then Absalom commanded his servants, Mark when Amnon's heart is merry with wine, and when I say to you, Strike Amnon, then kill him. Do not fear, have I not commanded you? Be courageous and be valiant. It's an interesting thought there that, that this flies in the face of, of Jewish understanding of, of sin and of um, the responsibility of every human being. So the, the Jewish understanding of the, the, the freedom but the responsibility 
of every human being is such that when Abnon says, do not fear to do what I've asked you to do, which is kill my brother, have I not commanded you? That flies in the face of, of, of Judaism entirely. It, it is a sin in Judaism to take action even if you're doing it at the behest of somebody else. If you know and believe it's a sinful action, then you're to not do it. You're to say no. Be strong, be courageous, and be valiant is his admonition to them. But what would have taken courage would have been to say no. I refuse to do that on the grounds that I am enjoined from taking human life. I can't do that even though I'm commanded by you to do so. And that would have been the right thing to do within Judaism because he had not sinned, Amnon had not sinned against these men. Absalom does by commanding them to do this and expecting them to follow his orders. And so the servants of Absalom did to Amnon just as Absalom had commanded. Then all the king's sons arose and each mounted his mule and fled. So the rest of them took off and got out of Dodge. But then news came to David that Absalom had struck down all of David's sons and not one was left. And the king arose, tore his garments, and lay on the earth. His servants, standing by, tore their garments. But Jonadab, the son of Shimeah, David's brother. This is the Jonadab that I was telling you about earlier, who, who is the one who contrived the, uh, the situation whereby Amnon and Tamar would be alone, and he would be able to rape her. And so he said, no, 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 no. Don't suppose that they've killed all the young men, the king's sons, for Amnon alone is dead. For the, by the command of Absalom, this has been determined from the day he violated his sister Tamar. David knew what had happened. He was told what had happened and did nothing. And you can understand then why Absalom would be so upset about that. It's because my father should be protecting my sister. And yet he refused to do that. David failed as a father and as a leader. In that situation, when he failed and, and chose to take no action and come against Amnon because he loved Amnon. Well, he loved all his children, but apparently he, he loved Amnon more than he loved Tamar. Because he didn't stand in the breach and protect Tamar in this situation and, and take her side of this. And so Absalom took action on his own. He let it lay there for two years until he finally got his opportunity to do something about it. And he says, and Jonadab says, now therefore let my lord the king take it to heart as to suppose that all the king's sons are dead, for Amnon alone is dead. But Absalom fled, and the young man who kept the watch lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, many people were coming from the road behind him by the side of the mountain. This young man who kept the watch is keeping watch for David in the city of Jerusalem. Jonadab said, behold, the king's sons have come, <coughs> as your servant said, so it's come about. And as soon as he had finished speaking, behold, the sons came and lifted up their voice and wept, and the king also, and all of his servants wept very bitterly. But Absalom fled and went to Talmai, the son of Amihud, the king of Geshur. And David mourned for his son day after day. So Absalom fled and went to Geshur and was there three years. And the spirit of the king longed to go out to Absalom because he was comforted about Amnon since he was dead. So, so the situation has resolved itself, although in the wrong way. David should have been the one taking action here, and but but David, remember when when somebody dies, when his other son, the the first child that Bathsheba had with David, the one that was conceived in the adultery, remember David was was comforted 
after the death of his son because David believed in eternal life and he believed in the resurrection of the dead. And so here it's the same way. David is willing and able to put the past in the past and move on. But but David's got to recognize in all this his own culpability in, in failing to discipline his son Ab, um, Amnon. And he, he, he set this situation in motion. And it only gets worse for David from here because of his failure as a parent to deal with sin in his midst. And it's the same thing you saw with Samuel, right? Because Samuel's sons were not like him. And the people rejected them as leaders in the same way that they had done with Samuel's um, mentor, Eli. And so here David's failing with his own children to exercise discipline among those children. And, and now we've got murder. We've got a Cain and Abel type situation, except for in this case, um, Abel had actually, Abel in the form of Amnon, had actually sinned. And so now we've got a situation set up that's going to be very, very difficult to resolve. It's going to be painful, and it's going to cost a lot of life because David failed to discipline his son. And who knows, perhaps it was because um, Amnon might have looked at David and said, oh, really, it's wrong to do that? These sexual things, they're wrong? And so David didn't have the moral high ground, although he did have the moral high ground because he repented, and that's in the past. So... Anyway, the, the, the situation is, is that David's failed. David failed to uphold truth in his own household, and now it's led to this murder. <clears throat> in the gospel today, Jesus couldn't be any clearer, right? Whoever causes one of these little ones to sin uh, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. We had a program within the AMIA from the beginning. It was called Avoiding the Millstone, and it was... Um, uh, we had to do background checks on anybody who was going to work with children, and we had to do some training about um, not being alone with children and some other things. And so th- this this thing of avoiding the millstone came about because of this pedophilia crisis that had come out in the Catholic Church. This is way back now. You're talking about in 2000 or so. And I remember um, going into hospitals around that same time and, and wore a collar most of the time when I went to the hospitals, partly because it always allowed me to go wherever I needed to go without having to jump through any hoops but but also it's a sign of who I am and so there were frequently times when I would be in ICU or somewhere else seeing a particular patient and, and then as I was leaving somebody would ask me to come and be with their family and pray with them as well and so it gave me opportunities to do ministry outside of the people that I was specifically ministering to because I represented something when I came in there they believed that that that, that meant that I was somebody who came in there representing God and representing the church and so they would come and ask me to pray with them. And I had many wonderful conversations and prayer times with people in those circumstances. But at the same time, you could tell there was a wariness around that period because of what had happened in the Roman Catholic Church. Now, now I'm going to quickly add that, that you can pick on the Roman Catholic Church largely because it's easy to aggregate the numbers there. There's so many Protestant sects that it's very difficult to aggregate those same numbers of pastors or, or people in leadership roles in the church who have done such things. Like I said, the Catholic Church, yeah, I'm not making, this is not an apologetic. I'm just saying this is way more widespread than just the Roman Catholic Church. It's just easier to get statistics in a monolith than it is in the fractured Protestant world. So anyway, but, but it's important that, that we be the kind of people who, who don't sin against little ones, but, but who raised those little ones in the, in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and the truth of the gospel. 
And, and so then Jesus goes on from there to saying, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. And in all cases, it's better to you to enter into life without these things, no matter what the effect on you is, than it is to, to be sent to hell for failing to deal with those sins. You know, I, I don't know what you would look like in this situation if you actually took these admonitions seriously, but, but I know that I would be an odd-looking guy. And ultimately, what you'd have to do is give me a lobotomy because it's mostly my mind and my heart. And Jesus is very clear about that, that, that those sins come from within. Those, those, the, the outward manifestation of the sin is, is a manifestation of an inward reality. It's the spillover of what's in my mind and what's in my heart. And so Jesus is, is clear with us about how serious a matter sin is here. And he says, for everyone will be salted with fire. In, in other words, that, that Paul gives parables about that where he talks about that, that you be careful how you build your house because in the end it's all going to be um, burned and, and only what is eternal will remain. And so what have you built your house on? And that's what Jesus is saying here is, is that ultimately all this stuff is going to be burned away and we're going to have a place where we give an accounting and where we do see the things in our lives. And do, do we want to spend time being ashamed or, or do we want to deal with sin now? Because if we deal with sin now, then, then we know that he puts them away as far as the east is from the west. And so it's, it's important for us to keep short accounts with God, and it's important for us to teach well. And that's Paul's whole point in this passage from Acts 20, 17 to 38. He's leaving Ephesus, and so he calls the elders of the church to him. And so these are the leaders of the church, and they come to him, and he says, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I didn't shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public from house to house, testifying both the Jews and the Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to say, now I'm going to Jerusalem, and I don't know what's going to happen to me there, but, but I do know this. I, I know that everywhere I go, the Holy Spirit testifies to me that, that ultimately imprisonment and afflictions await me. So it, that being the case, what most people would say is, don't go, Paul. But Paul said, no, I'm going to follow wherever the Lord leads me, no matter what it costs me to do that. So he is not afraid to go to Jerusalem. He's experienced persecutions everywhere. And so now he says, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. He sets his face for Jerusalem in the same way that Jesus did at the time of the crucifixion when he goes for that Passover. Paul's face is set towards Jerusalem because that's where God's calling him to go. He said, look, I don't count my, my life any value or precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul knew grace because he's the one who received it. He was the one who was, who was setting about murdering and destroying and ending the church before it ever got off the ground. And the Lord met him there and allowed him to repent of his sin and become an apostle. It's an amazing thing what God did for him. He says, now, I, I know that none of you among who have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all. I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Paul said, I told you the truth. 
I, I declared to you all the truth, and I, and I encouraged you to get right with God because of Jesus. He said, but I know what's going to happen after my departure. Fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own cells will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples from them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease day or night to admonish you with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all who are sanctified. I covet no one's silver or gold or apparel. I, I, I provided for myself and the people who were with me by working. And he says, because I just wanted you to hear the word of the Lord. I didn't want you to be burdened with, with supporting me. So I, I took care of my own needs because I'm able to do that. And so then he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping uh, as they embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful because he would not come back to them again. And it sounds very much like Jesus and his disciples, that they didn't want to hear this. But Paul's disciples knew, yep, this is the way it's going to go. But they knew something else. They knew something about the resurrection of the dead that even Jesus' disciples didn't know at the time he was speaking of these things. But Paul's saying that, that the important work that I did among you was that I taught you the whole counsel of God. I taught you the whole truth. I didn't withhold anything from you. You know the truth. But what's going to happen is when I get out of here, when I leave this place, I know what's going to happen because it happens everywhere I go. And that is the Judaizers will come in here and they're going to tell you that you need to be uh, circumcised, you Gentiles, in order to become truly part of the church and to have true salvation. To be sure about that, you need to do this other thing. And, and it, there's always another thing, right? We, there's always somebody who wants to add something to something. And particularly in the case of the cross, for whatever reason, we want to lay on top of that. You've got to do these things. And Jesus is saying that those things are an overflow of the Spirit within you. And it's the becoming the desire of your heart. And so he says, deal with sin ruthlessly. Be careful. Be on the watch always. Don't be deceived about the nature of sin and the nature of the Christian life. And so Paul's done what he could to prepare people. And that's the job of the shepherd is to prepare them is to prepare the flock is to prepare the church to stand for truth and to know the truth and in the truth they can be set free but they can repel error and they can repel heresy because they know the truth because they stand in the word of god in the power of the holy spirit it's important that we be those people in this day 